Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I am your host, Rob Carraher, and we are back for another episode of the Real Marathon Podcast. This week's episode is focused on the Sundance 2021 Film Festival. I spent the better part of the last week watching movies. Um, this festival has or played this year somewhere over 70 films, uh, feature films, and over 50 uh, short films. I didn't catch all but two of the short films, so I'm not counting any of that because I just didn't. I, short films just aren't my wheelhouse. Um, not to say that I won't at some point in time get more invested in short films, but for the time being, uh, that's just not what I am looking into. So I, I set a goal prior to the festival to try to see at least 20 of the 70-some films. Uh, my focus was going to be on the U.S. competition films, both in drama and uh, in documentary. Um, and the reason why is because it's a little easier to watch a film that is made in English. Uh, it doesn't require as much focus. Um, and it just becomes challenging when you get tired to watch a bunch of s subtitled films. As great as they are, um, they deserve to be seen with a fresh mind um, and one that that is able to digest what they are trying to show and say. So even though I did watch a few uh, foreign films or non-English language films, I probably shouldn't say foreign, um, non-English as their, their language, uh, most of the films that I did watch were English-based films. Um, and I chose the U.S. drama and U.S. documentary categories uh, because I really wanted to vote. I wanted to vote on and get to be a part of the audience awards. Well, I didn't really know how uh, that was going to be done. Uh, they didn't explain it well. And so I didn't actually end up getting to have my opinion heard in terms of that. Um, that is the only part of the festival that I was disappointed in. Uh, otherwise, I thought they did an excellent job of uh, making the festival work fairly seamlessly. Um, and I was nervous. I was a little bit nervous that we were going to have some issues with uh, the app not working and films not streaming correctly, and I didn't have any of that. Um, so, like I said, I set a goal for 20 films um, between Thursday to Wednesday. I ended up watching 29 films, 29 out of the 70 some. Um, that's a lot of films. Uh, that's the most I have ever watched within that short period of time, um, and. Toward the end, it was getting a little arduous. Uh, otherwise, I, I after I realized that I had met the 20 film threshold, I set a new goal to hit 30, and I didn't quite get there. Um, I was very tired on Wednesday night and couldn't squeeze in another one um, without falling asleep. So uh, I, I got stuck at 29. Still nothing to uh, be ashamed of. Um, I really enjoyed my time. 
Uh, I would do this again if uh, the opportunity presented itself. Um, I had a lot of fun. So today's show, uh, we are going to take a look at some of those films. Um, I'm not going to go in depth on a lot of them. Uh, I did include my rankings, all 29 films ranked in the stars that I gave each each film in the notes. So if you want to refer to that, you can. Um, but we will be breaking it down so that I will first focus on the films that were in the U.S. drama competition. Uh, then I will take just a short break and I will talk about the U.S. documentary competition films. And then we will come back and do a, an overview of everything else. So they had those two competitions. They had a world cinema uh a drama competition, a world documentary competition, and then there were uh, several other categories. Uh, there was a category called Next, which are more um, emerging filmmakers, and that also had uh, some awards that were given out for that. But then there is also the Premier uh, category, which None of the films were in competition, and it could be a variety. It could be either drama or um, documentary. It didn't really matter. It could be in whatever language, um, but those films weren't in competition, so I caught some of those. And then they also had a midnight, uh, midnight category that was generally films that were more like sci-fi, horror, kind of bizarre, strange films that played in the... Uh, 10 to 11 o'clock range at night. So there was lots of stuff out there. Uh, I wish I could have seen it all, but just doesn't, not enough hours in the day, especially when you have a full-time job uh, that, that takes precedent. So that, uh, that gives you kind of an overview before we get further into the show um, and something to look forward to. Uh, we will be right back with the news. And we are back with the news. This was a big week for news, uh, at least in terms of the direction that we are headed with the Academy Awards. Um, first of all, the Academy released the eligible films for Best anim Animated Feature, Documentaries, and Best in International Films. Um, and this is important because now we can kind of focus in and see what films are potentially at play. Granted, these lists are still pretty long. And so within the next few weeks, we should be getting uh, some short lists for each of these categories so that we can have uh, an actual idea of what films may be considered by the Academy in these categories. Um, but that's, that's some news. We're, we're moving forward. In addition, BAFTA also put out their long lists. And BAFTA is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. So this is the British equivalent of the Academy Awards, the Oscars. 
And they also have a little bit of overlap with the Oscars because many of the folks who are a part of the British Academy of Film and Television Arts are also part of the Academy. So this this kind of pushes us a little bit in that direction. And based upon these lists, the films that showed up the most times were Mank, Promising Young Woman, in The Trial of the Chicago 7. So I think it is fairly safe to assume that those those three films will be at least in play, specifically for Best Picture, but many other awards as well. Obviously, that is not a guarantee, um, and they're... May go. They may may end up going in a completely different direction, uh, especially given that it is a we- little bit of a weird year. Um, but this does give us a little bit of a taste what some of these these folks who will be voting on the Academy Awards what they're thinking. Um, so that is important. And then this past Wednesday, the Golden Globes announced their nominations for both film and TV. Now. The Golden Globes is a little weird because it doesn't actually have any overlap in terms of members with the Academy. It is the Hollywood Foreign Press, and there are only a it's a pretty small number of folks that are actually voting on these these awards. But for whatever reason, the Golden Globes are considered one of the top award ceremonies each and every year. And so they are somewhat of a precursor to the Academy Awards, and they they put a lot of weight into who they end up nominating. Some of that might be that it just, it starts a trend um, and really gets the name out there for some of these films, actors, directors, writers, all these folks being nominated. Um, But some of it just may be, a little coincidental and that it just happens that they there is some agreement uh the funny thing about the golden globes is every single year there are nominations that absolutely piss off film critics all around the world they cannot believe that certain people or certain films got nominated and I love watching it because they freak out, but they should expect it. It's just what the Hollywood Foreign Press does. And in the grand scheme of things, those films generally do not end up being recognized by the Academy. So this year, um, the film Music, which is a film by music artist Sia, uh, it has been getting trashed by critics, but it landed several nominations and critics just absolutely lost their mind um in addition uh there there have been a few snubs that that people are not very happy about um delroy lindo from the five bloods he he was not nominated for a golden globe uh, Paul Racy from The Sound of Metal also was not nominated. Uh, Ellen Bernstein from Pieces of a Woman was not nominated. And some people are just not very happy about that. Um, 
Doesn't mean that they're not going to end up being included in the Oscar nominations, especially considering that we're a ways away, but uh, it is something to take note of. So we will keep an eye on on this uh, award ceremony and see how it plays out. The award ceremony takes place on February 28th, so we're pretty close to that. Um, and, and we're going to see, see what this does to the race. Uh, once again, it's an interesting year, so it, it may have a different impact than it would in a typical year. Um, but it is worth talking about and bringing up. Um, so we are, we're, we're going to see, we're going to see how that plays out. Um, in the drama category, uh, the drama category typically is, uh, the category that that is most um, most closely related to what we will see for best picture at the Academy Awards, and we we generally saw the films that we we expected in that category. Um, in addition, Thursday, the SAG. Screen Actors Guild, they also released their nominations. And this guild, this award ceremony, does have a huge impact on what the Oscars might look like. And the reason being is that the Screen Actors Guild makes up the largest branch of the Academy. So if an actor or a film does well, with the Screen Actors Guild, there is a good chance that they are going to do well uh, at the Academy Awards. And so uh, we, we did receive um, some information in regard to that. Now, once again, we still had a couple snubs. Delroy Lindo and Paul Racy, neither of them were nominated. And that, that ended up being very surprising, especially considering that The Five Bloods had received a nomination for Best Ensemble. So you'd think that they would would have potentially uh, nominated Delroy Lindo um, in the actor category, but they did not. They did nominate Chadwick Boseman um, for Best Supporting Actor, but... We just didn't see anything from Delroy Lindo. And a lot of people believe that Delroy Lindo should win Best Actor this year. Um, Paul Racy also did not get nominated, which is a shame because that was a very, very great performance. And frankly, um, probably one of the best performances of the year. Um, in addition, we didn't see Ellen Bernstein get, nom get nominated for Best Supporting Actress either so there, there is actually we, we are seeing um, some of the same trends across uh, both the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out um, one more uh, actor that got nominated that I haven't seen this film yet and uh, not a lot of folks probably have at this point but there's a film called The Little Things that was a little bit late to the game and uh, it, it is a story that revolves around a serial killer. Well, Jared Leto, he got nominated for both Best Supporting uh, Actor, or he got nominated in both the Golden Globes and the SAGs 
uh, for Best Supporting Actor for that film. And the critics are not happy about that. They think that his performance isn't that great. And uh, I guess I, I will be the judge of that once I finally get the chance to see that film. Um, but that is something to note. So the five films from SAG that got nominated for Best Ensemble, and this kind of gives us a, an idea of what films may get nominated for Best Picture. Uh, the, the Five Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari, One Night in Miami, in the trial of the Chicago Seven, uh, so I, I would not be surprised to see all five of those films nominated for Best Picture, come Oscar time. Now, one last thing to note about the news, um, and specifically the SAG Awards, Chadwick Boseman, he broke a record for being nominated the most times of any actor in a given year. He got four nominations this year because he got a nomination for Best Actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He got a nomination for Best Supporting Actor for The Five Bloods. He also got nominated as part of the ensemble for both The Five Bloods and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So that's pretty interesting. Um, that's quite a way to honor uh, an actor that we lost well before his time. Um, and I, I think that there is a strong possibility that he is going to win not only the SAG for Best Actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I think that there is a chance that he will win the Oscar for that, that role as well. He was, he was very good in that role. Um, I don't know if I would choose it as the best performance of the year, but if he wins, he's very worthy of it, and it would be a fantastic way to honor um, his life and the work that he has accomplished in his relatively short career. So that's all I have for news. Uh, we will be right back with our upcoming events. We are back with our upcoming events. So I've only added one event from what we had last time, but I want to go back over and make sure that you know what is coming up here in the next few weeks. So next week, I will be doing a review of Judas and the Black Messiah. That film does come out next Friday. So as this podcast hits your um, wherever you listen to podcasts uh, in the morning, you will be able to listen to that review. And that evening or weekend, you can hop on HBO Max and watch the film. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited that I finally get to uh, do a review before the film really even comes out for the public. Uh, the following week on February 19th, uh, I will be doing a review of Wolfwalkers, which can be found on currently on Apple TV Plus. 
Um, so check that out before that uh, review hits. The next week, I will be doing a review of Nomadland. I'm very excited to see that film. That comes out on February 19th on Hulu. Uh, and then the next week is our Real Marathon podcast spoiler show, where we will be talking about all five films from uh, the the Amazon film series Small Axe. And when that... that series came out, it was a little bit ambiguous whether or not uh, it would qualify for TV series or for like a mini series um, for these awards or if they would it would be in play for uh, actual film awards. And some of the critics have uh, done a little bit of both, but it seems as though now um, it is probably only going to qualify for TV. Um, but that's okay. We're still going to do a review of those films because I think that that's the type of quality that it is and uh, it deserves to be included in this talk. So we will, we will talk about all five of those. There will be spoilers during that show. So if you plan to listen, um, either be okay with hearing spoilers or go ahead and watch those films before we begin talking. All right, uh, on March 12th, we will be doing a review of Minari. Um, that film comes out next week, and I'm not quite sure if it will be available to everyone uh, on video on demand or just in theaters at that point in time. Originally, I believed that it was just going to be in theaters, but I have now heard that it, it may be available for us to watch uh, on February 12th from the comfort of our home. So I will be doing a review a month later on that on March 12th. And then uh, the new film that I have added for March 19th is the foreign film, the international film, Another Round. At this point in time, it is probably the favorite to win Best International Film at the Oscars. And so I think it would be prudent for us to do a review of that as we are getting a little bit closer. So that's all I have for events for now. Tune in next week to see what new reviews I will be adding. It is the moment that we have all been waiting for. Let's talk Sundance. So first we're going to talk about the U.S. Dramatic Competition. And I think before I discuss any of the films, it should be noted that the film Coda, it ended up with four awards in competition, which says a lot considering that they only give out six awards in the, for this specific competition. So it won the Grand Jury Prize for uh, Best Film. It won the Directing Prize. It won the Best Ensemble Cast. It also won the Audience Award for Best Film in Competition. Uh, and so I... I'm not surprised that it won any of these. It is a great film, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit. 
Um, but that that mark that it hit winning four of the six awards is pretty incredible. The other two awards went to Jockey for Best Actor. Um, and then, in addition, On the Count of Three won for Best Screenplay. So let's just start out. I'm going to start kind of from the bottom and work my way up. So there were two out of the ten films in competition for the U.S. Dramatic uh, Awards that I, I just did not care for at all. Um, the first was a film called Superior. I ended up giving this film two out of five stars, and I, I did want to give, give it some credit um, because they, they did well to really get kind of an 80s, 90s feel. Almost everything that you see in the film, they, they went and found those actual objects to include in, in the aesthetic of this film. Now, the problem with this film is that it is very amateur. And I was a little disappointed that they would have even included the film as part of competition because they're at, we're, we're at times uh, where I thought we could make this film. Uh, it may take a little bit of train, training to get there, but it just honestly was not that good. Um, in the end, it, it was a passable film. Um, and... And I maybe didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to end up hating it. Uh, it's just the acting isn't fantastic. The, the story takes forever to get started. Um, and it just it ha had a lot of problems. Um, but I still gave it two out of five stars. The other film that I didn't really care for, I also gave two out of five stars. This film is called Mayday. And... I want to give credit. The film looks pretty good. It is a an innovative concept. Um, it has a good score, but it still wasn't a hundred percent polished in terms of the way that it looked, the way that it was edited. Um, you could tell that it was still an emerging filmmaker. The part that I absolutely despised was the plot because it was nearly impossible to follow. They were trying to deliver some giant message that was meaningful and it, it failed to land that miserably. I did not buy in at all. I kept thinking the entire film, where is this going? And when I finally recognized that it wasn't going in the direction that it should be going, um, it, was already, it was already a lost cause. So uh, I, it's a, problem, <laughs> a problematic film. It just did it, in terms of uh, the craft of it. Uh, the acting was average at best. Um, and it just it just wasn't a very entertaining film, um, and it didn't really have anything overly important to say, despite what others might tell you. Um, so that Bayday, I also ended up giving only two stars. 
the next grouping of films, um, I, I put two films at three stars. First one is I Was a Simple Man. I Was a Simple Man looked pretty good. Like, it, it was a well-crafted film from a filmmaker that is experienced um, in his craft. But it was a little too out there. And in the end, I'm not sure it said as much as it meant to say. It it just it, it felt a little too distant. Um, and and this is a film about a a man whose life has been filled with a lot of tragedy. And as he is um, coming closer and closer to death, uh, there is um, some overlap with some kind of supernatural things that may or may not be real. Um, but it, it didn't quite connect. Now, the performances were pretty good. They're not going to win awards. I'm not... I, they just aren't. Um, and it, it had some very intriguing ideas that felt like they could do something very, very cool with them. It just didn't ever hit that point. Um, it is the type of film that is very likely to be forgotten. Um, and and it made, made this competition... But I, I imagine that very few people will be actually talking about this film as the year goes on. The other film that I ended up giving three stars in this competition is a film called John and the Hole. I liked John and the Hole quite a bit better than I Was a Simple Man. I almost gave it three and a half stars, but I just couldn't bring myself to do that. And the reason being is it didn't have as tight of a focus as it needed to. Essentially, this is a film that is an allegory um, that, that really delves into the idea of childhood versus being an adult. And... Could have been an extraordinary concept, but it gets a little bit lost. So the premise of the film is a young boy ends up holding his family captive in this bunker that was built in, in their backyard. And he holds them there, and we kind of see these events, these events play out. This film is beautifully shot. The cinematography is fantastic. The score is fantastic. I wanted to love this film so much more than I did, ended up loving it. Um, and I, I've been trying to wrap my head around the bigger idea and what the overarching message ended up being. And I just, I can't do it. It's just, it's not... It's not tangible enough, and for me, it just didn't quite work the way that I think the director thought it worked in probably even some of the actors. Um, 
the performances are fine. Once again, not going to receive any award love, but uh, it it it's an intriguing film. It is definitely the sort of film that uh, if you are somewhat interested in seeing it, it's worth watching. Um, but be prepared; you may be left with a little bit of unsettling disappointment um, as the film comes to a close. All right, so those are my two films that I gave three stars. Now, this next, uh, these next two films, I gave three and a half stars, and uh, they are good films. They are good films. They just have um, some deficiencies that keep them from being great films. I generally reserve that three and a half stars for films that have a ton of potential. Um, I really enjoyed the experience. Um, they just are missing a little bit of something that, that removes them from being great. So the first one is called On the Count of Three. This is the, the film that won Best Screenplay. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I think it has some um, issues. Uh, the film is about mental health, first and foremost. The premise is that it's two friends who make a pact that at the end of the day, they're, they are going to kill themselves. But they, they live out these events of the day. The, it's a very, very dark subject. And... The approach of this film is one of trying to look at it from a more lighthearted point of view. And at times it's brilliant. And at times it just doesn't work when you're trying to get to um, the ultimate message. It's not quite as believable as you want it to be. But this is a dark comedy um, the performances are great. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting film and it is worth a watch, but it is heavy. It is heavy along with being a, a dark comedy. Um, anytime that you're talking about suicide, uh, it, it, I don't know. It's a, uh, if this wasn't a comedy, it, the concept behind it, would have been too much, and I don't think that we could have sat through it. Um, but it, it is a definitely a unique vision of this topic, and I would say it is well worth watching um, if you're ready to kind of deal with some of those those heavy topics. Um, and the uh, the way that it it plays out, um, it it's kind of like just a buddy a buddy film. Um, that we see on a regular basis, but it's an interesting twist on that. Um, and, and that it ultimately, it, it makes it a more interesting film. Uh, so Gerard Carmichael, who is the director, he also is one of the two friends. Um, but Christopher Abbott, his performance was fantastic. Uh, he, if there were nominees for that acting award, I definitely would have nominated him. Um, if I, if I got a vote, 
um, because his performance in this film is one of the best performances that I saw uh, throughout the entire festival. Um, and so you could you can watch this film simply to watch that performance. It's very, very good. Um, once again, I would recommend this if you are ready to take on that 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 heavy topic. Uh, you're gonna see that the topic of mental health, came up a lot during this festival um, and and it's an important one to be talking about. Um, so gave that film three and a half stars. Uh, the other film that I gave three and a half stars is a film called Wild Indian. Um, in Wild Indian, its main issue is one of pacing problems. Uh, it has a, it starts slow. It's interesting as an interesting beginning, but it, it it starts slow for how the film accelerates later on, and the pacing just isn't quite right. Um, this is yet again another film about mental health. Uh, so they are following two uh, friends that dealt with a tragic uh, event that happened near or on their um, Indian reservation and how their environment had a impact on that event and what ends up happening beyond. Um, it's, it's a well done film. It looks good. They had great performances um, I, I legitimately enjoyed watching this film, despite the fact that it's, it's not particularly an enjoyable sort of, sort of film to watch. Just not, I mean, like when, when you are dealing with, um, folks that are feeling incredible pain, uh, it, it, it can be hard to watch at times. But this film does such a, an incredible job at uh, really showing these things play out and how the people in your life can have such an impact on how a person turns out. Um, I would probably end up watching this film again um, even though it is a little difficult to watch. Um, but in the end, I, I thought that, that it was just a, a really, really good film. Um, I don't know that it has been picked up yet by anyone. Um, but... Once it has been picked up, I imagine that uh, it will be more readily available because it is that sort of film. Um, so go out, watch that one when when we eventually eventually makes it to either our streaming services or maybe it will even be in the theaters by the, and maybe we can even go to the theaters by that point in time. Um, so check out Wild Indian. We, uh, we will 
Oh, that one I also gave a three and a half stars. The next batch of films, the next three films, I all gave four stars. The first one is a film called Passing. And the concept of this film is it takes place, and it's based on a novel, takes place during the uh, Great Depression uh, Prohibition, the 20s time period. And it is shot entirely in black and white. And it follows a woman uh, who has, because of the complexion of her skin, despite being a black woman, is passing as being a white woman. And she is married to a white man who believes that she is a white woman. Her school friend, her friend from school, when back when they were in school together, she also has a light complexion, but she lives as a black woman. And she can pass as being white, but she's not trying to. Um, or at least is not trying to on a regular basis. She is married to a black man. Um, and it, it is just an incredibly interesting concept. Uh, I really was intrigued by by the way that uh, this story plays out. Um, it has a few problems. The director, Rebecca Hall, uh, she this is her first feature film and she did an excellent job it looks good the cinematography is good um and i think that it probably the the problems more than likely lie mostly in the script and in the way that the film is edited um and i i just think that it, it probably comes down to problems with uh adapting a novel to the screen and being able to fit it all into um, a, a shorter runtime. So I'm not going to blame that entirely on Rebecca Hall. Uh, the performances in this film are stunning, and I think that there is a strong possibility that Ruth Naga, at the end of the year, will be nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She was amazing in this film, um, and it is worth seeing it entirely for her. It has some very great Gatsby-like vibes to it, um, and, and if that's the sort of time period that you like, I think that you will enjoy this film. It did get acquired by Netflix, so it will be on Netflix at some point this year, depending on when they want to release it. Um, because it is definitely going to be an award player. Uh, it's just that sort of film. And uh, it, it may not end up being anyone's favorite film of the year. But it is of high quality. And it is definitely worth your time. If you uh, want to see a well-crafted film. The next film that I gave four stars is a film called Together Together. This is really the, well, other than uh, On the Count of Three, this is really the only film that is more of a comedy. Um, I suppose Coda kind of has a little bit of uh, comedy in it too. But Together Together uh, stars Ed Helms, 
and uh, the premise is that he is a single man who wants to have a baby, and so he uh, hires a surrogate who's much younger than him, and uh, it's really about their friendship, and and it's a cool film. This is a subject matter that, frankly, at least in the comedy sense of things, uh, has been overdone. Um, but this is a fresh take on it. And it it is grounded in the realism of what it is to just be a human and long for important relationships. Uh, I, I became quite emotional at many times during the film. Um, and, and it it is, it is definitely worth a watch. It is going to be one of those films that, um, it will be pretty well received by a wide variety of audiences. Uh, it may not be as Hollywood as some other films that, it is similar to uh, because it does very much represent um, real life, but uh, it is a special film and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, And I would highly recommend seeing it when it does come out. Um, The film was acquired by, can't remember what, what uh, distribution company ended up buying it, but it's a big one and um, it, it, will get to your hands and you will end up getting to see it before the end of the year. Um, and I would highly recommend watching together together. The next film that, uh, I gave four stars is the film Coda. Coda is one of those films that if you don't like it, you must just be a killjoy. It is such a feel-good film. Um, it, it follows a somewhat formulaic storyline. Uh, it's kind of that coming-of-age story, but it is unique in the fact that it takes uh, the issue of, of deafness and um, makes it normal uh in a way makes it normal or at least it it um it shines light on just how this this isn't necessarily a disability it's kind of like sound of metal in that way um there there are strengths and weaknesses for every person and deafness shouldn't be seen as a weakness. So CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And the main character is a girl that uh, she is the only one in her family. Her brother and her parents are both deaf. And they are, uh, they fish on a boat and they sell their their fish to uh, a somebody who um, sells it at a market and she helps them out with all of that being the only person that that can hear in her family but she is also exploring herself as an individual and her love of music so you have these kind of two conflicting ideas 
Um, and, and it's just a really cool, cool film. Um, it is the sort of, sort of movie where, um, you got, you have incredible performances. Uh, the script is good. The way it's made is good. There aren't a lot of exceptional aspects to the film. Um, so even though it very likely is going to be an award player, um, which by the way, it was acquired by Apple TV. Uh, and so you will be able to view it on there. I very much believe that this is going to be a, an award player at the end of the year. It's just that sort of film. But I don't know so much that it is going to win a bunch of awards. Um, just because, once again, it, it is not quite that sort of film. Um, but you may get some acting nominations out of it. The three deaf actors that play her family are incredible. Um, and and you you believe fully that they're it's just a cool it's just a cool family. Um, out of all of the movies that I am reviewing here today, if I could recommend any movie for my listeners to watch, it is this film. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. It's just it's just a cool film. Um, so I don't know when this this is going to end up coming out. I would imagine that they will wait till the latter part of the year, um, just because they want it to be have a chance to get some Oscar nominations. Um, but once it does arrive, you are in for a treat. Um, and it is the sort of the sort of movie that you can watch multiple times and it will still be just as magical. I can't wait to watch it again. I ended up watching this one all by myself and I can't wait to watch it with um, other people so that they can experience the same things that I experienced uh, while watching this. Um, so be looking out for Coda. Uh, I gave that, that film four stars. All right, the last film that uh, I reviewed for the U.S., drama competition and I watched all 10 of these the films in the competition is the film Jockey. I adored this film. It is a film about an aging jockey who's getting close to the end of his career and a more up-and-coming jockey uh, is starting to kind of be <laughs> the next big thing and it also deals with the relationship between this jockey and uh, his trainer. Even though this is a, frankly, an overdone premise, it is so well done that I don't care. The dialogue's good. The film looks amazing. If, it, frankly, this film probably already should be nominated for Best Cinematography in the year 2022. I feel fairly confident that it is going to be one, still one of my favorite films in terms of cinematography by the time that, um, by the time that we get to 
the Oscars in 2022. That's how much I love it. The score is incredible. And the performances. The performances are absolutely fantastic. Clifton Collins Jr., who plays um, the main character, he was the one who won the Best Acting Award for for uh, the festival, and it that it, it was my favorite performance. He was just fantastic, um, and the in Moises Arari, uh, Arari, Arias, sorry Moises Arias and Molly Parker, um, who are the two other main characters, they are both fantastic as well. I ended up giving this film four and a half out of five stars. The only reason that I did not give it a full five stars was because of the fact that it isn't the most original concept and um, kind of has that that feel of uh, like a star is born or the wrestler or uh, crazy heart. I think it was called crazy heart. Yeah, crazy heart. Um, where it's just that kind of aging star who is on their way out. Um, but, once again, I don't care. It's an incredible film. I highly recommend it. I can't wait to see it again. Um, and I, I fully anticipate that others aren't going to like it as much as I did. And that's okay. Um, I, but I do hope that it is an award player because its craft is fantastic uh, the landscapes uh, of Arizona are beautiful. Um, I don't know that I've seen a film that uh, handles the darkness as well as this film does and shoots so many scenes in a dark environment and does it in a way um, that that is it's just really well done. Um, so highly recommend Jockey. Uh, and I, once again, I do not know when this is coming out, but when it does come out, you need to see it. When we come back, we will be talking about the films in the U.S. documentary competition. I did see eight out of the ten in that competition. talk about the U.S. documentary competition. I watched eight out of the ten films in competition for the U.S. documentary, and I'm going to talk about them in a little bit different manner than I did for our U.S. dramatic competition. Um, so I sensed a theme among many of these films. Uh, the first theme that I really noticed was that that these filmmakers decided that they really wanted to, to talk about the teenage experience and specifically the teenage experience in this 2020 20 I guess the 2010s to the 2020 range and I found it to be somewhat captivating because it highlights 
a, a world that is much different than the world that many of us know. Living as a teenager in the 21st century, and specifically the now times, is much different than it was even when I was a teenager. But there are still a lot of similarities. So the films Try Harder, Homeroom, Cusp, and At the Ready all really focus on what it's like to be a teenager now. Um, out of the four, my favorite was probably Try Harder, which focuses on a group of teenagers who face the pressures of living up to their own expectations as they apply for colleges all around the country, um, but also living up to the expectations of society, their communities, and their families. And I think this is something that for many of us, we can relate to. Um, maybe not in our own experiences, but in what we observe around us. And there's just this pressure for kids to maybe be better than the adult generations that are raising them. And we see this play out in the film Try Harder. And even though the subject matter is of serious nature. There is some humor in this. And we see these teens, even though they are asked to be somewhat adult-like, we still get to see that, that teenager in them, that youth. And it, it's, it's a cool experience getting to see this play out on screen. So I would highly recommend uh, the film, Try Harder. I did give it four out of five stars. And I also gave the film Homeroom four out of five stars. And Homeroom has a, a similar theme in that it is teenagers who are trying to make that jump from being, you know, just a child to taking on roles within their communities, recognizing what they are up against and what it is like to be a teenager in 2020 as they are trying to make their way into an adult world. And we see as these kids see a community problem with a public schools-based police department and how that has a negative impact on their lives. On top of that, we see how these things play out in a unconventional year where their youth, in a way, was stolen from them because of the pandemic. And so they don't get to enjoy many of the things that, in a typical year, teens would get to enjoy, like graduation and prom, on top of the heaviness of what it is like to be a teen, teen now. We also see this play out in the film Cusp, which I gave three and a half stars. And this follows three girls in the summer during their teen years. Um, this film made me slightly uncomfortable at times because you see teens doing some things that 
you would probably consider to be pretty stupid. But the fact of the matter is that, that this is teens. These are teens. This is what it's like to be a teen. Um, they make mistakes, but they also start to grapple with what it, it is like to be an adult and that independence and starting to make some of their own decisions and figuring out through the mistakes that they make what does and doesn't work. And I think that's an important message is letting teens be who they are and not trying to shape them into who we want them to be. I think as a high school teacher, I maybe have a little bit greater appreciation for this because I see the goodness in a lot of these kids, despite sometimes some of the dumb things that they end up doing. Um, and to an extent, most of us can probably relate to that uh, because we see ourselves in these kids. And some of the things that we did when we were teenagers that um, weren't necessarily the best, but also helped us to learn. And this film Cusp, the idea, like the title coming from being on the cusp of adulthood, um, it's beautifully filmed and we, we just, we get a, a peek into what it, what it is like to be specifically a female teen, um, with the, the pressures of, of the world around them. So it's a pretty cool, cool film. Um, the last film in the documentary competition that also deals with films or, or with teens is, uh, at the ready, and I give this film three stars. This is a film that's about teenagers in Texas, um, El Paso, who are training or have classes at their school to become law enforcement officers. And they may end up being police, they may end up being border patrol, but the idea is that they are training them for this. And there's this, uh, Kind of realization for many of these teens that they're being preached that this is what they should be going into but it, it is in conflict with a lot of their lifestyles many of these kids are latino um and they they re recognize that the things that they are being taught to do may be at odds and they, they are grappling with the decision of whether or not um, this is the career for them uh, in, in looking at the moral aspect of that. Um, I didn't love this film as much simply because at times it seems like it is trying to say too many things and it's not able to focus on um, one core message that really would have driven home the point of the film. So it's slightly messy. Um, it's a well-made made film, and the characters, or at least a few of the characters, are very, are people. I shouldn't call them characters. They're real people. A few of these teens, they are very intriguing. Um, you, you really connect with their stories, and... 
Um, you ultimately just want what's best for each of them. So I still would recommend this film. It just wasn't my favorite out of the 14 films that, that I watched. Now, the other four films that I watched in the uh, documentary competition, uh, they I kind of have it at two and two. Um, two of them are a little more experimental and uh, do kind of some kind of bizarre things in the way that they deliver their message. Uh, the first is a film called Users, which I gave three and a half stars, and it is probably one of the most gorgeous films in the entire festival. It doesn't say a lot, though. It leaves a lot of what it is trying to communicate up to your interpretation about kind of nature versus machinery and kind of this balance. Um, I think it had more potential to be important, but it didn't quite hit where it needed to. Um, and in the end, it felt like it took you on about an hour and a half journey with not a big idea to share at the end. Um, but it, it is a it is visually stunning. It looks like a Terrence Malick film. Um, and and it, it is worth it, at least for that experience. But it could have been so much more. I felt similarly about the film All Light Everywhere, which has a major focus on uh, police body cameras and the way in which um, cameras in light work. And it was very interesting at points in time. But its focus and uh, the editing aspect of it was slightly sloppy. And at times I wasn't sure what the purpose was for some of the decisions that the filmmaker makes. I give this film three stars. Um, and even though I learned a lot, and even though I saw some pretty cool things, it just wasn't crafted in the way that a high quality film should have been crafted. There's times where they're pulling up windows on a computer to show something. And it may have been purposeful to do it that way, but I didn't care for the decision because it looks lazy. And so in the end, the message that they are trying to deliver gets a little bit lost in some of that laziness. Um, I don't know that I can recommend it. I think that uh, it, you can look into some of the information regarding it, but three out of five stars isn't terrible, but it could have been a lot better especially with the topic at hand, which is timely and important. Um, it could have just been approached in a little bit better way. All right, the last two films I'm going to talk about were two of my favorite films. After Jockey, they were the next two films that I loved the most in the entire festival. First one is Rebel Hearts, which is a film about nuns in California, in the San Francisco Bay area, that 
challenged the patriarchy of the Catholic diocese there, and they got themselves into a little bit of trouble. And this film is so well crafted uh, that that it doesn't really matter whether or not the topic is important. It's just visually uh, pleasing. And I think anyone can appreciate that aspect of it. But then when you add in the, the subject matter and how important it is uh, that we, we, we have folks that are willing to challenge maybe some backwards ideas, uh, I think that made it just that much more important. I have to admit, I might be a little bit biased being a former Catholic and uh, having this film really speak to a lot of the things that I saw that frankly drove me away from wanting to be a Catholic. Um, there was some catharsis there and uh, I think that's what makes it extra special. Um, it, and ultimately that's why I ranked it a little bit behind the next film I'm going to talk about simply because I feel like maybe I'm a little bit more personally connected to the film uh, compared to some of the others out there. But I still gave this film four out of five stars. I think it is worth the time of anyone um, who likes a film that's about fighting for social justice and uh, doing it in a um, celebratory sort of way. Um, so that's Rebel Hearts. And then my favorite documentary of the entire festival is called Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. And this is about a, the Harlem Culture Festival, which took place in the same time frame as Woodstock, but didn't get anywhere close to the same sort of coverage. And... This film is directed by Questlove from The Roots, and it's nearly perfect. Um, I still only gave it four out of five stars because uh, it does follow a similar formula to a lot of other documentaries. So maybe the creativity isn't there compared to some of the other documentaries that I've seen throughout my life, but it is so well edited. The editing in this film is incredible. They take found footage from this festival that the likes of Stevie Wonder, um, Sly and the Family Stone, The Fifth Dimension, all of these giant acts that were uh, primarily black acts during this time period playing this free festival and they take this found footage that has been buried in a basement somewhere for 50 years and they they expose that to an audience that you know is mostly blind to a lot of the things that happened during this time period yeah we all know about the civil rights um but we we whitewash so much of our history and so to have somewhat a correcting of history, specifically about what was happening in Harlem during this time period, um, mixed with this fantastic soundtrack and getting to watch this festival as it plays out and seeing the things that these music artists are standing for, it's just an incredible experience and I enjoyed it so much.
Um, I could have continued to watch this documentary for much, much longer. It's about a two-hour documentary, but I, it could have gone on and on. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think that it is, uh, for anyone who loves music from that era, uh, I think that you will find that it is a pretty special experience on top of a history lesson. Um, so I highly recommend going out and viewing Summer of Soul or when the revolution could not be televised. When we return, we're going to talk about the remainder of the films in the festival. Um, so come right back. with the final review segment of the Sundance 2021 Film Festival. Um, and, and for this segment, I want to split the group into the dramatic films and the documentaries um, just to make it a little easier to talk about. Um, so for our dramatic films, all of these films have uh, an element of mental health um, and that plays a, a pretty big role in, in the way that all of these films play out. Um, with maybe the exception of Judas and the Black Messiah, but I'm not even going to talk about that film right now because I am going to talk about that in next week's podcast. Um, but the film Land, Mass, Knocking, Fire in the Mountains, and Censor all have elements of uh, the battling of mental health and how uh, trauma can play a major role in the way that we process things and the decisions that we make. Um, so my favorite out of this bunch was the film Land, which is the directorial debut of actress uh, Robin Wright, um, and she also stars in the film. This film has been kind of received by critics to be uh, a little milk toast, and I did not feel that way at all. I gave the film four out of five stars, and even though it is a, well, I'd say kind of a cliche story um, of an individual that is trying to escape the pressures and the uh, problems associated with being a part of a society when they don't feel like they fit and going out and living in a remote area. Even though this is kind of a, a story plot line that, that has been used many times, this film is so beautiful. And uh, Robin Wright does an excellent job of both framing the film in a way that really brings you in and uh, makes you feel for the character and just through her performance, being able to pull that in and the importance of uh, relationships to our the way we feel about ourselves. Um, the backdrop is in Wyoming and I gotta say it is absolutely stunning. Cinematography is beautiful. The um, 
score is amazing and the characters uh they they just pull you in i was crying by the end of this um in both a in kind of a bittersweet sort of way uh i i would highly recommend this to anyone that that loves films that really showcase the beauty of our country and uh, are really a character study that, that is based almost entirely in empathy. Um, Land, Land was an exceptional film, uh, regardless of what you hear other people say. Uh, the second film that I, I really liked was a film called Mass. And this one has received uh, quite a bit of critical acclaim. Um, and I, my expectations were pretty high for it because of that. Uh, I watched this as a second showing, so people had already seen it previously. But this film takes place uh, basically all in one room uh, where we view the parents of a victim of a mass shooting and the parents of the mass shooter as they grapple with a lot of the emotions that, that they've been feeling for a long period of time and trying to uh, kind of rectify some things. Um, this is a showcase of four excellent actors. Uh, a screenplay that at times is brilliant um, and makes you feel <laughs> relatively uncomfortable at times, um, it, it's a, a very well done done film, and I I also gave this four out of five stars. Uh, there are some issues with it, uh, some some decisions that the filmmaker makes uh, don't quite connect with me. Um, the fact that it, it it feels very much like a play, it is not a play, but uh, you could probably do it as a play. Um, and it has that, that general feel. Um, I, I would probably watch it again, even though it's hard to get through just to really soak in some of these performances. I would not be surprised in the least if uh, one or two of these uh, actors get nominated or win some awards by the end of the award season for the 2021-2022 award season. Um, if you are willing to go on this journey with these couples, uh, I highly recommend doing so. Um, but it is a heavy subject matter anytime that you are dealing with um, a mass shooting and kind of bringing up uh, the complexities from both sides on that issue. The next film I have on my list is a film called Knocking. And Knocking is a, technically it's a horror film. It's kind of a psychological thriller about a woman who leaves a, what you presume to be a psychiatric ward and she gets this apartment and she is tortured by this knocking that she hears coming from the apartment above her. And we watch as she sort of unravels um, and it, it, this is a sh pretty short f foreign film, um, and I really enjoyed the experience. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the horror genre, but uh, this one is very well done, and uh, I, 
I would recommend it. I ended up giving it three and a half stars. I contemplated giving it four, um, but just because of the nature, um, there's just certain limitations that I think specifically in this genre that films run into, and uh, and, and I saw that with this film. Um, although, I would be interested in watching it again. This was part of the Midnight series, so it was one of the final films that I watched on uh, the first full day of the festival, and I was pretty dang tired. <laughs> um, and so I'd like to maybe watch it with some fresh eyes just to kind of see uh, maybe some of the things that I missed. But that is Knocking. Um, pretty cool film if you're, you're a fan of the horror genre. Uh, the next film is called Fire in the Mountains. And Fire in the Mountains is a uh, foreign film. It takes place in India, and uh, it follows this family who have a special needs child, and they live up in on the side of a mountain. Um, and the stress that their location, on top of the fact that their child uh, does have these needs, uh, the, the stress that these characters face and the pressure that it puts on their marriage. Um, this film, for me, is mostly intriguing because of its location. The shots of them going up and down the mountain are magnificent. It's beautiful, and it's incredible that they were able to capture what they are able to capture. Um, I give this film... Uh, I ended up giving this film three and a half stars as well. And I think it's a, a film that's worth watching. I don't know when it will be um, coming to any of our streaming platforms or to the theaters. But when it does, uh, it, it is definitely worth a watch. Simply just to see that uh, landscape on screen and watch as this director has captured... Um, just the experience of this family moving up and down this mountain. The last film, the last dramatic film that is part of this group is a film called Censor, which follows a woman who has been tortured by the disappearance of her sister from when she was a child and has dedicated uh, her life to making sure that um, audiences aren't seeing too explicit of displays of violence play out on screen. So she's a censor uh, for horror films, suppose, uh, mostly. And it's, it's a little campy. Um, and it, it's a horror film in itself, uh, but maybe more so kind of just a psychological horror film as we watch her become more and more um, obsessed with uh, a specific uh, actress. And um, it, it kind of plays out in a bizarre sort of way. I ended up giving this film three out of five stars. Um, I probably could have gone down to two and a half, but I felt like the craft is good enough uh, that that it was worth bumping it up to three. Um, if you like the horror genre, it might be worth watching. 
Uh, otherwise, if you don't, I wouldn't probably recommend this one. All right, let's talk about our uh, documentaries. So the highlight documentary in the this group is the documentary Flea, which is about a refugee um, who is basically tells his story of what he had to go through. Uh, this is a foreign film. It is uh, complete, almost completely animated to really show these events taking place. Um, it's an extremely cool concept. Uh, this film was bought by the distribution company Neon and uh, will be dubbed into English. Um, I don't know when it's planning on being released, but this is certainly going to be in play for next year's Best Documentary Feature um, at the uh, Oscars. Um, so that it, it, it's an exceptional film. Um, and uh, it's an, an incredible story. And the main young man who the story is about, he... The fact he, the bravery it takes to tell the story um, is stunning. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend watching Flea when you get the opportunity. Um, and like I said, it will probably be dubbed into English, which will make it probably more accessible to to uh, a group of folks that, that typically wouldn't watch something like that. Um, so go out see Flea when that comes out. Um, I also really liked this film called In the Same Breath. Uh, it was a little bit hard to watch still in the midst of the pandemic, but it, it is a film about China's uh, handling of the coronavirus and how they used the coronavirus to pump up their communist system and put in that in juxtaposition of the United States capitalism system and how uh, both sides try to prove that their, their economic system is better for this type of pandemic, but in the end revealing that they both have their own weaknesses and strengths and to kind of uh, center this conversation a little bit. Um, but there are some very sombering, sombering uh, events that take place in this film. It's very well done. Um, if you have interest in digging into more information about the coronavirus uh, and the pandemic, it is definitely worth your time watching. Although um, we may all be a little bit uh, past the point of wanting to dig in since we've been buried in this for months at this point. Um, but it is worth, worth your time. The next documentary that I have on here is called Amy Tan unintended memoir this is three and a half stars i gave it three and a half stars amy tan unlimited our unintended memoir uh was probably one of the documentaries that i was most excited for as an english teacher i teach uh a lot of texts written by amy tan whether they're short stories or i do teach the joy luck club so i was already invested in this documentary um, it's a pretty straightforward format uh, that just essentially explains uh, Amy Tan's life and shows just how remarkable of a writer she is. Um, I think more than anything for those who don't know that much about Amy Tan and or, uh, who have never read anything by her, 
Um, it's sort of an advertisement for her literature. Uh, and it, it was, it was a really, really well done documentary. And if that, if you love literature, if you maybe love Amy Tan, it is definitely worth your time watching that. Um, the next film I have on my list is a film called The Day in the Life 2020. This is essentially a little bit of a sequel to, uh, a film that premiered 10 years ago. Um, at, at Sundance and it takes footage submitted by people all around the world and edits it together to show uh, what a day in the life is for people all over the world. And so they picked July 25th of 2020 and uh, it's a pretty uplifting film. Like there's some sadness to it because it's been a sad, it was a sad year, but to be able to see um, some of the incredible things that people do and just to seek an a average life of people and be able to relate to that and have some empathy for what's going on around the world is uh, a pretty cool experience. So I would recommend that. I believe you can watch it on YouTube um, now uh, and it might even be free. So uh, go ahead and check that out. Um, it's an hour and a half and it it's a, a just a relatable experience. Um, the final documentary that I'm going to talk about is called The Glitch in the Matrix, which right now you can watch on HBO Max. I gave this film two and a half stars. Uh, it's an interesting concept because it's about uh, simulation theory and it's a little out there. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in it, but maybe more than anything, and it's about the people that do believe in this. The entire film is uh, somewhat animated or uses just like images or clips from stuff. So there's no, no footage that was shot by the director. It's all completely edited together, sort of like a year or a day, uh, a day in life or life in a day. Um, but uh, because it's, it's a little wacky and the pacing is a little off, it wasn't my favorite. Um, but it is uh, certainly worth a watch if you are interested in the concept of simulation theory. Um, at least just intrigued by it. Uh, I would highly recommend going out and watching that. Like I said, you can currently watch that on HBO Max. I think it just um, became available on uh, Friday. So yeah, you, you definitely um, have something to watch from Sundance currently. All right, that is all I have for Sundance 2021. Um, when we come back, we are going to close out the show with our trivia. with trivia for this week. Uh, before we get to this week's trivia, let's talk about uh, our answers from last week. So our first question from last week was, former President Barack Obama released a list of what he considered to be the best films of 2020. He included four documentaries that were mentioned at least once on today's podcast. 
name the four movies. I had made a mistake, and one of them I had mentioned on the previous uh, podcast, so that's my fault. But the four were Crip Camp, which is actually a film uh, that was produced by Barack Obama's uh, film company, um, Time, Boys State, and Collective. Those four were on uh, Barack Obama's best of 2020 for all films. Question number two. What film became the highest grossing documentary ever following the 2009 death of its main subject? That would be Michael Jackson's This Is It. Uh, they, it was the recording of his final concert for, that they had recorded through uh, rehearsals. And so, or his, his final concert series, they were supposed to be doing a bunch of shows in, I think, Las Vegas. And they had recorded some rehearsals, so they put it out as a film, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but uh, unfortunate that, that he had passed. Now that is the highest grossing documentary of all time. Question number three. What was the name of the band who was performing at the Collective Nightclub on the night of the fire? That band... His name was Goodbye to Gravity, and unfortunately, in that fire, four out of the five members were killed. Uh, question number four: Stacey Abrams, the subject of All In, the fight of, or the fight for democracy, held public office from two thousand seven to two thousand seventeen. What office did she hold? She was. The she was in the Georgia House of Representatives, and for a period of time, she was the minority leader for uh, the Georgia House of Representatives. And number five, documentaries are often forgotten. Can you name the documentary that won the award for best documentary at the twenty twenty Oscars? That would be American Factory, which is another film. Uh, being produced by Barack Obama's production company. All right, now on to this week's trivia questions. So, give me a second here. All right, though this year's festival was held remotely due to the pandemic, the Sundance Film Festival moved to its permanent home in what U.S. city in 1981? Though this year's festival was held remotely due to the pandemic, the Sundance Film Festival moved to its permanent home in what U.S. city in 1981? Question number two. In 1985, Joel and Ethan Cohen made their directorial debut at Sundance when they won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Dramatic Film for what film? In 1985, Joel and Ethan Cohen made their directorial debut at Sundance when they won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Dramatic Film for what film? Question number three. What director got his start in 1992 at the festival with his crime thriller starring Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Steve Buscemi, Chris Penn, and Tim Roth? What director got his start in 1992 at the festival with his crime thriller starring Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Steve Buscemi, 
Chris Penn, and Tim Roth. Question number four. This film, made with a budget of just $400,000, premiered at the film festival and paid its main star a measly $1,000. In the end, the film ended up grossing $46 million and became famous for its dance number performed by a Jamaraque song. This film, made with a budget of just $400,000, Dollars premiered at the film festival and paid its main star a measly $1,000. In the end, the film ended up grossing $46 million and became famous for its dance number performed to a Jamiroquai song. Question number five. Lucy Alabar received her first writing credit at the Sundance Film Festival in 2012 with the film Beasts of the Southern Wild. She has since been tasked with adapting what best-selling novel written by Delia Owens about an outcast woman surviving in the marshes of the Deep South. Lucy Alabar received her first writing credit at the Sundance Film Festival in 2012 with the film Beasts of the Southern Wild. She has since been tasked with adapting what best-selling novel written by Delia Owens about an outcast woman surviving in the marshes of the Deep South. And that is all I have for you this week. Return next week for our review of Judas and the Black Messiah. And until then, have a great week.